Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. You know, Father's Day isn't always an easy day for a lot of people, and um, I just want to express some love to those of you who, perhaps on a day like today, it's, it's a tough one. Um, we celebrate the goodness of fathers, and uh, we don't want to celebrate the other side of that coin, because sometimes it's been a really tough journey, and uh, there are folk who have their dad not with them for the first time and uh, that's tough too and so love to you all uh, for those who find today tough I know actually one of um, one of the young guys that I mentor most of half of the young guys that I mentor on Monday nights and that group is growing um, half of them don't have a dad in their life and one of them um, posted, Happy Father's Day to all the mums out there who are doing a double shift. And uh, so to all mums who are doing a double shift, Happy Father's Day, because you are troopers. And um, yeah. You know, on a day like Father's Day, um, I'm going to start with a a father's story. Um, so the message this morning is entitled Detangling Disengagement. A couple of D words, and it's a dad day, so it kind of works. When I was a kid, one of the things that I loved doing with my dad was going fishing. And uh, my dad still, to this day, he goes fishing virtually every day of his life. Um, he purposefully retired near the water, so he could get to the jetty, and he's got a, a number of jetties that he can go to depending on the weather situation and what's going on. And he'll go, and he'll, he's got his little routine. Um, as some of you met him um, a little while back, he's turned 80 not that long ago and gave up preaching this year. He's pastored most of his adult life, and, um, but he hasn't given up his fishing well, one of the things I enjoyed doing was going fishing with my dad and my brother and I. We would go, and I remember Port Hughes in South Australia, which was our holiday destination, and we'd go, and it's a very big long jetty because the tides are fairly big in, in the Gulf of Carpentaria, and so you'd have to have a long jetty so that when the tide is out, you can still get your line in the water. Um, maybe they had the jetty for some other reason, but I always thought it was just for fishing, right? So... We'd go out there and um, dad would have, you know, his line and then he'd have a line for me and he'd have a line for my brother and he'd set us all up and put our lines in for us and then he'd go about setting himself up. Well, by the time he was halfway through setting himself up, one of us had tangled our line. Don't know how we did it, but almost every single time we ended up in a massive tangle. And I remember times where... Dad would then say, okay, um, here. And, and he'd finish doing his and he'd put his out and he'd hand his over to me and then he'd sit down and he'd be like, trying to untangle my line or my brother's line. And then he'd finally get that done and then 
he'd get that out and hand it over to one of us and then take his line back and no sooner that happened but the other one, my brother, all right, would have a tangle. And so he'd end up, the whole fishing trip, as a dad, was just trying to untangle lines and, you know, very few fish were caught. As we got older, we got better at it, but uh, it was an interesting environment. Sometimes you'd uh, almost see the steam coming out of his ears. You ever had that moment where as a dad or as a parent, the steam's just coming out because you're trying to do something and you know that all you need is tight lines. And if you're a fisho, there's a a saying, you know, where they... fisherman would say as you're going out oh, tight lines and it's just like a throwaway line which basically says hope you catch some fish and you don't get tangled you know tight lines I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing for this morning's message and I was thinking you know what our lines of communication I kind of like fishing lines whenever we get tangled one to another, or even between us and God, there's like this tanglement that takes place. And when the tanglement takes place, instead of having an engagement, which is like, you know, actually going out and fishing and having some fun and engaging in the way it ought to happen, you end up sitting on the edge of the jetty trying to pull the tangle out and the engagement process is lost. And I was thinking about that because I really felt like the Lord wanted us to address something that I think we all struggle with. And that is, as we grow, and most of us here, I think we've, we've probably all of us here have been on a walk with God for some time. When we initially engage with God, there's a tremendous excitement about that. And it's kind of like the first day when you go out to do something. For me, it was the first day fishing. Tremendously excited, but I had no clue how to do it. And so you get out there and, you know, Dad sets you up. Heavenly Dad sets you up so that we can do it, but then we mess it up because we don't know what we're doing. And it's the same with our communication with each other. And it's the same with our communication with God. Oftentimes, there's a whole bunch of things that are getting in the way of us being able to communicate with God effectively or even to be able to communicate with each other effectively. And I picked a few other D words, trying to go with the D theme this morning, that I feel that come into play when things aren't going so well. So a word like disappointed. We can get disappointed Sometimes with God, and sometimes with each other, with the people that are around us. And when disappointment sets in, disengagement starts to take place. The lines get tangled, and we start to distance ourselves because we're disappointed. We're either, if we're disappointed with God, you know how hard it is when you're disappointed with God to go to Him the next time when you want to pray for something with any sense of confidence because there's a disappointment that's set it in, you know, and it's the same. If I come to you, I'm disappointed with you, but if I come to you to engage with you, the next time that disappointment is going to be the filter between me and you and my engagement process with you isn't going to be as confident as it was when that wasn't there. Another D, D word is disillusioned. We get disillusioned, right? So we, that's, oh, 
we can be disappointed someone's done something or hasn't done something. God hasn't performed the way we want him to perform. He hasn't achieved what we, we thought the Bible said this, and we come to you just like it says here, God, and why didn't you do it for me, you know? And so we have this almost a childlike disappointment, but disillusionment is kind of when you actually stop believing. It's like, it's all a load of rubbish anyway. All this relationship thing. I've heard so many people, this uh, marriage, <laughs> done with that, you know. And it's because they got disillusioned. Perhaps they got disappointed. Perhaps they got a whole bunch of other D words <laughs> going on that uh, really didn't help. And we do. We get disillusioned. And we can get to the point where we actually don't believe that this relationship could possibly work anymore. So, okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. And then there's another D word which I think comes into play and that's disinterested. And that's when I actually don't want it anymore. It's not that I don't think it can work because maybe it could, but I just don't care. I don't want it. I don't want... So, and what I've noticed is that there are people in the world today and I think the scriptures highlighted that it would come to pass at some stage in the journey particularly more so in the end times, that there are people who are turning their back on the Father, turning their back on their faith, turning their back on the church. And I think there's a whole bunch of reasons why that can happen. But what often happens is we go through a process, don't we? We start off with a little bit of disappointment. We end up with a little bit disillusioned. Then we get completely disinterested. I just don't care anymore. And then disengagement is complete. We're no longer engaged. We're no longer engaging in that process. And it can happen with God. It can happen with relationships. It, a lot of people, when they move from one church to another, they go through that cycle. Right? Maybe at one stage or another, you've had a pretty good experience in a church, and then something happens. Usually it starts with disappointment. Something happens. Bang. And then you get disillusioned, and then you get disinterested. I'm no, I don't care anymore. Now, you might care enough to go to another church and try again, but if you've done that a handful of times, you might get to the point where you go, no, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm done with him. I'm done with the process. I'm done with a lot of it. And the problem is that that's not our intention, right? We ne no one ever intends to get disillusioned. No one ever intends to get disappointed. No one ever intends to get disinterested. And when we first engage with God, there's such a childlike excitement about that that we go, oh, this is the best thing that I've ever had in my whole life. And then something happens. And that something that happens is oftentimes out of our control. Someone does something. Someone says something. Someone acts a certain way towards us, and we have absolutely no control over that. The only thing we have control over is our response. And oftentimes, we're like a little kid who's out there trying to fish who has no clue how to do it. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why we might not know how to communicate very well. See, the thing is, we're not all raised the same. And you might have somebody who you look at and you go, this person's really good. At communicating this person's really good at connecting this person's really good at they seem to have it all together and I'm at a loss as to how I can even function 
But then you might find, if you, with a little bit of investigation, that po- perhaps that person had a fairly good environment to learn how to do it in. I know people who, at my age, who've never fished before, and you take them fishing, they'll be just like a little kid trying to fish, and they'll do all the same things that I did when I was five, because no one ever taught them how. You've got people who are my age who don't know how to drive a car, let alone drive a bus or a heavy vehicle, and I remember having people come up to me and say, I have no idea how you do that. They see me in a big bus and a big vehicle driving around like I own the road, like I got all the confidence in the world. But I can tell you what, when I first started, I was petrified. I actually remember when we were shifting from um, Melbourne to Sydney, um, a friend of mine who owned a very big truck said, I'll help you. I had just got my truck license, right? He said, I'll help you. We can share the driving. We'll fill the truck with all the furniture. We'll drive from Melbourne to Sydney. And I can honestly say that I was petrified. I didn't tell him that. Because when he was driving the truck, he drove like a maniac, like I kind of drive now. (laughs) He drove with absolute confidence. And I had no idea that you could drive a big vehicle with such confidence or that at that speed. Like when I got up to 80, it felt like I was going 150 when I was in a big truck. Because I was like, oh, I have no idea even how to, if this thing will even stop. And if I put the brakes on too hard, if, am I going to have the whole load of furniture coming straight through the back of my head? You know? And so I dro- when I got in the tr- and he's like, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean what I'm doing? He said, speed limit's 110 on this highway. I'm like, yeah, so? <laughs> I haven't had my license very long, sir. <laughs> but every time he drove, I was nearly whipping myself. Particularly when he's driving through the streets of Melbourne on the way out. He said, I'll take the first thing. I'm like, beauty. And then he's like, zoom, zoom, and it pulls up at the, I'm like, whoa, how do you even get here? You know, but now, I have people commenting on my driving as a bus driver. They come on, I've never been in a bus that drove so quick in my whole life. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment or that's <laughs> But you see, here's the deal, right? If you don't know what you're doing, you, you can get frustrated to the point where you're almost like a kid on a fishing, on, on, on a jetty with tangled lines and when our, with our communication. If we haven't been taught how to communicate or if we've had a bad example of communication, then we can get ourselves stuck on constantly. If we've had a parent figure for, perhaps who perhaps didn't know how to communicate real well and that's all we learnt when we were growing up. We don't know that, you know, you've got to do certain things in order to create a, an environment that, that works. And so what I found is that this disengagement process that we often see in church life, in the Christian walk, that needs to be addressed is very well addressed very often because I don't know how many people are aware that it can be better. If you don't know it can be better, You just think, well, this is the way it is, and I just have to live with it. I just have to put up with it. And that's what often happens, particularly, and I've found this. I get people who come in to my circle of um, relationships, 
who come from different church backgrounds and different family backgrounds, some broken. My, I had two parents who, who loved me, um, yet within the environment that I grew up in, there was something that some people might call manipulation. And uh, I don't think my parents knew that that was their, what was going on. But when I got to know my grandparents, particularly my grandmother, a little bit later on down the track, I realized that my mum had learned a certain way of getting her way, getting communication across because of what her mother had taught her. My dad had been brought up in an orphanage. Right? So he had no parental figures except a bunch of nuns who treated him bad. Right? So you have two parents who stick together and love us kids like crazy, but haven't got all the skill set in order to communicate well. And so we grow up in an environment that isn't, it's kind of healthy from the outside, it looks real healthy. But as you grow up, you suddenly realize that that's not so good. And then you see patterns in your own behavior as a parent. I found myself on numerous occasions, it was, wasn't until we had our third child that I suddenly realized I had to change some things. Because I was behaving badly as a parent towards my first two children. I had no clue because I was just following a pattern that I'd seen. I didn't know any better. And so... When Logan came along, I, don't, I can't remember the, the light going off in my head, but I just remember I came to a conclusion I had to change. And I don't know whether it was when he was born or when he was a few years older, but I know I raised him different to the way I raised Daniel and Emily. And I know that right now, I know that Emily and Daniel are the two out of our five who struggle the most to have a relationship with God. Yeah. So their engagement with God reciprocates something of their engagement with me as a father figure in those early developmental years of their life. Why am I saying all this? Because if we don't dig into some of these things sometimes, then when we do come to the scripture and we try and apply it, we don't know even how to apply it because we don't know the framework in which to apply it. And I can honestly say that one of the things that I've been learning, and I'm still learning it, every now and then, my communication with either you or even with God is inhibited by something that has undergirded me my whole life. And I find, oh, I've got to unpack that. I've got to surrender that all over again. And so my journey has been an interesting journey, let's put it that way. When we get tangled lines, our relationships with each other, family members, church members, leadership, communication at the workplace, maybe it started in the schoolyard, you can, we can all go back in our life and find moments where we go, ooh, I recognize a disengagement process that took place or perhaps never existed in the first place. And then we can reflect on how that might interact with how we engage with God. Okay, 
So if we if we if we get an understanding that a good connection with a person or with God, where there's good communication, tight lines, creates an environment where we can be healthy, we can grow, and if something's wrong, it's communicated well, and we can deal with things quickly. Poor connection with God or with each other means that there's tangled lines, and that means that every time something is communicated, it has to go through a filter. Yeah? Everything has to go through a filter then. And that filter will either shut us down completely from being able to even... You might have someone who's trying to communicate something positively to you in an element of love, but there's a filter in between you and that person that doesn't allow that to get to you. So by the time that information gets to you, and we're not, I'm not even talking about text messages. I can be, you can be face-to-face with somebody that can be talking to you. And something is triggered in you by something that they've said, the look in their eye, the body language. You know that your, the body language can trigger you if you're communicating with somebody. A facial expression can trigger us. And it could be completely... That, that, that was not intended by the person. Like They might have been thinking about somebody completely different. They might have been disengaged in the communication. You ever been in a, a conversation with someone and you suddenly realize that they're gone? Right? You're having a conversation with them and then you notice and then you start looking over your shoulder thinking, what are they looking at? And the reality is they're thinking about something but it's not what you're talking about. You know? And so there's, that's just happened. And I catch myself doing it all the time. I've got so much stuff going through my brain that sometimes I'll be in the middle of a conversation and something they say triggers me, triggers a thought, triggers a process. And in my I'm trying to in my brain I'm trying to get out my notebook, make a note of that. I've got to process this. I've got to make sure I do that. And I've just remembered this, and they're still talking to me, and they know that I've disengaged. You ever had that? You know what, husbands and wives do that all the time, right? And you're sitting there going, what the heck, right? <laughs> you know, when, when I was, I remember when my kids were young and my wife at the time, she, um, sh- she, would, get, she would struggle with me because I would, I would like to chill out in front of the box, right? Sports freak that I, I am. The sport would be on and I... I don't know why it's important to hear the commentary, right? But it just kind of is sometimes, you know, you just got to hear what they're saying. But the thing is, it's not that that's more important, it's just that at that moment, that's all I can hear. And so you can have someone talking to you, and you're not actually hearing them, the voice like goes straight out the door, and it's gone. Communication. And you see, the thing is, you can be focused, yeah, you start, don't start. We can be focused on what you're doing and someone can be talking to you. And so my kids would get to the point, they'd imitate their mum who would go, babe, 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 ready, 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 babe. Oh, what? I'd hear the ready, ready, ready and it'd be like trigger. Oh, someone's talking to me. You know? So my kids would do the same. They'd go, dad, dad. Babe, 
babe. Ready, ready, ready. Oh, you're talking to me? Sorry, kids. And I, they'd be calling me babe. Because that's what their mum did, right? And there was a little miscommunication. But you see, communication lines are so val- value, valuable and so important that if we don't get it right, we don't learn how to do it, um, and if we don't recognize the filters that are in place, for me, a filter was what I was doing. And in reality, is I had learned that from my dad, and for him it was a newspaper, not so much the TV. I had a dad who'd come home from church, because he was a pastor, and he'd have the newspaper, and he'd sit up, and he'd put his feet up, and he'd have his slippers on. And I don't know, I think back in the day, some of you folk who are perhaps a few years older than me might recall that it was a done thing. So they had lessons on how to look after your man. I've seen it. I've seen advertisements from the newspaper. List of things. It's ridiculous. But that's the culture from back then, right? So you've got to look after your man. You give him his pipe. You put the newspaper in front of him. He's had a hard day at work. Have the meal cooked. So when he walks, don't start. There was a book. There was, yes, there was an actual book. Right. So, and, and they just taught this. And you can imagine why the feminist movement rose up. I mean, that's just ridiculous stuff that has to be dealt with, right? It's just wrong. Like, seriously, this is how you have to look after your man. And the, but the, was there an equivalent book? that came out the other way. You know, I've seen some ridiculous things in that book too. Like how you have to sort of dress up with a, you know, mini, I think it was back in the 70s, put your miniskirt on. Make sure you're dressed up to the nines when he comes home. Make sure your lippy's right. This is what they had to do. Make sure your lippy's right, yeah? This is what they taught to my mum's generation, right? Make sure everything's perfect. Make sure the, the, the house smells... Don't burn anything for God's sake. Because if he walks in the door and he's had a hard day at work and he smells burnt food, he's going to go down the pub. Then you've lost him for the night. You know? You know? And, and I won't go what, into the book on the sealed section, right? The sealed, the, I'm not going there today. It's a family program, right? But the thing is, if you, <laughs> if you understand that this is the kind of stuff that many people are brought up with, right? We're brought up with in a society or even in a home life that trains you and teaches you certain things so that when you get to the point where you're having to function in the way you're meant to function as an adult, you've learned all the wrong things to start with and you can't do it properly. And so it's no wonder we get our wires crossed. We No wonder we have so many people crossing from church to church to church can't find their way, getting disappointed, disillusioned, disinterested in not only our relationships with each other in our church, but also in God. This is where it all starts. And so when we come back to the very core of our relationship with God, we need to understand one thing and one thing really clearly, that God is love. And even the word love is misunderstood right throughout the world. You know that in the, in the Greek, see, we have this word love, and it has so many different meanings, but it's the same word, you know. I love pizza. <laughs> you know, 
I love my wife. And it's the same word. But in Greek, there's a whole bunch of different words. And so when Jesus was around and, 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 and he'd be, and, and the disciples recording, and he probably said it initially in Aramaic, but then he, when he was out in the marketplace, he probably spoke Greek because that was the common language. But what we find is that as they translate the word love in the Bible to try and teach us about God and his love, they use the word agape or agape, which is a word which means unconditional love for all people. And so when John 3.16 was written by John as recording what Jesus said, he said, for God so agape loved the world that he gave his only son. In other words, it's an unconditional love which is different from a what's called a storge love. So a storge love is the kind of love on Father's Day I receive from my kids. Yeah? It's not an unconditional love, but it's a, it's a, it's a deep love based in this relationship that we have. Storge love. It's usually the love that I have for my kids is I would die for my kids, yet it's not completely... If it were agape love, it would be completely unconditional. But you see, I... Oftentimes, storge love it allows us for disappointment, allows us for all those other things, right? Because it, there's a bit of self-involved in that, but it's still there. It's a family kind of love. Then there's another kind of love, which is called uh, phileo love, which is really just friendship kind of love. We're not connected by blood, and we don't have that deep connection that we have you know, through kin, but we, we actually have a friendship that is meaningful and it's a phileo love so I love you in other words I'm, you're my friend and you know sometimes a friend can even be closer than a brother the book of Proverbs tells us and that's a really deep kind of phileo love but the, the, the phileo love is it's still it's a, it's a mutual kind of love so I love you as a friend because we've got relationship and that works for us so there's still a bit of self-involved in that, but it's a, it's a love. And then, of course, there's another word called, which is eros, which is a passionate love, which is usually associated with sexuality and the intimacy that you have in a, in a husband-wife relationship. Agape love is the love that, when that is distributed, and when that's going down the lines of communication... When there's a, an unconditional love, you know what Sheik and I had to learn when we first started hanging out? Um, because we come from two different marriages where we'd learned some bad behavior. And if you learn to live a certain way and you learn to communicate a certain way and suddenly that's all over for whatever reason and you've got to start again, you take all that baggage with you and you've got to unpack the baggage. And so immediately when we started communicating early on in our relationship, there was a lot of tangles, a lot of tangles, right? We had to learn how to detangle the lines. You know what the key for us to learn how to do that was? And it was, it was Shaq who, who challenged me really heavily one day, like almost angrily, but kind of angry in a love way <laughs> she said if you don't 
know that I love you when I speak to you and when I do something, you'll never know that what I do is not meant to hurt you. If you don't know that I love you, then you'll receive whatever I'm doing in a wrong way. Because you got, she said, you've got a whole bunch of filters that make everything that I do look like something other than what I intended. I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. I had to learn to know in my heart that her intentions were pure, even though it might look like, because of my filters, it might look like that her intentions were not pure. Because I had a whole bunch of history, and so every time she did something, it triggered in me a reaction or a response or a previous mindset of this behavior means this. And to be honest, as I've unpacked it, I've realized that a whole bunch of the things that ruined my first marriage should never have ruined my first marriage. Because in all honesty, they were in my mind. They actually weren't real. And they were in my mind because of my childhood, because of my father's childhood, because of my mother's childhood, because of the the level of communication that I had learned that didn't allow me to process well. And so I've discovered that love in relationship is the highest priority if we want to have tight lines. If we want to have engagement that doesn't end up in disappointment and doesn't end up in disillusionment, doesn't end up in disinterest, where we're suddenly disengaged completely, we have to have, at the very core of, our, of every relationship, love. And I believe that's where Jesus, when we come now to Jesus' teaching, if we understand that, then we'll understand his teaching even better. Yeah? If no love is communicated, or if a tainted love is communicated, for instance, if we don't know how to love, then we're going to have a real hard time receiving anything from somebody else, unless it is packaged exactly the way we want it to be packaged. That's where we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. Filters that we have can be past hurts, can be our growing up experience, like the way that we got taught. We we com usually completely oblivious to it. So it hurts, training, um, expectations. You walk into an environment where you have an expectation of somebody that isn't communicated, or it's an unrealistic expectation, and so that creates a filter, so that when that person you know, in, in marriage relationships, we have expectations. And some of those expectations might be because of some stupid book from about 50 years ago that should have been burnt a long time ago. Or it might be for a whole bunch of other reasons. The way my mum did it, or the way my dad did it, or the way I want it to be done. And so we got all these expectations. And the other one, the other filter is, as I said before, the trigger points. Most people go through their whole life never understanding why people treat them the way that they do. Some people here today are probably sitting there going, I'm so confused about my life because everybody always treats me bad. Or 
this kind of person always treats me bad, whether it be male, female, boss, always treats me bad, parental figure always treats me bad, my kids always treat me bad, you know. And we don't know why. And the reason we don't know why is because we haven't learned to understand our, even our own communication ability or disability. And so we need to come back to the Word of God and go, okay, Lord, what, what can I do? Because at the end of the day, if, if the disengagement process takes place in our heart towards people, it, it's possible that it could even take place in our heart towards God. And if it does, we'll end up being like, you know, Marty Sampson from Hillsong who a couple of weeks ago made a big statement about his losing his faith and just this week just gone, he said, to all you Christians out there, I'm no longer one of you. I'm like, that's what he said this week. Right? And uh, so he's been on this journey and he's just called it like it is. I'm no longer one of you. Um, I don't know how else to take that as if I can just see a, a process that's taken place. It's probably very similar to what I described. Disillusionment followed or followed disappointment and then after that comes disinterest and no longer, you know. <clears throat> See, at, at the core, and this is what I got thinking about last week and I, I think it's the core of what we're about here today. At the core of our Christian faith is discipleship. But discipleship needs to be based in love. Following after Jesus isn't just about a bunch of rules. It's actually a love engagement process. And if we don't get taught how to do that, we, uh, we, we're going to miss out. Jesus gave us probably the greatest discipleship model in uh, Luke 10, 27, where in the midst of a conversation, he answered those who were asking him questions. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and shall love your neighbor as yourself. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, you shall love the Lord your God. Wow, that's, that's expressive, isn't it? He's using very expressive words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. He wants us to engage at every level of our being with God. And then he says, and with your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's, that's big. If we can unpack that just for a minute, right? The heart level, so with all your heart, is from our very core, our spirit. You know, when... when, when we were in darkness, our spirit was dead to God. And that's why we, Jesus says you must be born again. He says not going back in your mother's womb, but born of the spirit. Our spirit must be rebirthed. And as we are rebirthed, born again, we come into a relationship with God at a spirit level. It comes alive to God. Our spirit comes alive to God. 
says you must love the Lord with all your heart, with all your spirit, with all that is in you. Love the Lord your God. Then he says to love the Lord your God with all your soul. And your soul, it's interesting that he says soul, and then a little bit later on in the same phrase he says mind. But you, your soul at the very core is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So it's every part of this cognitive awareness needs to be projected back towards God in, with love. Love God with your soul. Then he says, love God with your strength. What is your strength? Your strength is your physical person. Love the Lord your God with your strength. You know that the Bible says that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we ought to commit our, oh, was it, um, submit our bodies as living sacrifices before God. So he's talking about a submission of our body, our, all of our strength unto God as a sacrifice unto him. And then he goes on and says, and he, and, he, and he comments again and says, and with all your mind. So he's already said soul, which is more encompassing than just the mind. It's the mind, our will, and our emotions, which is, that's a lot. That's, that's a core of how we function is our mind, will, and our emotions. But then he, he mentions mind again. And I think there's a reason why he does that. It's the reason why Luke recorded it that way. And I believe that's because our mind is where a lot of us come undone. Our mind, our will, and our emotions is our soul, but it's in our mind where a lot of the stuff takes place. And so I believe Luke has highlighted the soul and the mind just to re-emphasize what Jesus is saying. I believe it's in our mind that we get disappointed. It's our mind, in our mind where we get disillusioned, and it's in our mind where we become disinterested. And so when... When the disengagement process starts to take place, it hits us at every single level of who we are. It actually hits us at our spirit level, but it starts in our mind. It starts in our mind. Do you know how many people know that when you're hurting, it actually it affects your emotions, it affects your physical being. Have you ever felt where you're so hurting that you, you can't even, haven't even got enough strength to stand up? I can honestly say that in the lead up to when my wife and I broke up, the my first wife and I broke up, the, the intensity of what I was going through was so incredible that I fainted twice. Like I had a, what I would call a body faint. My mind didn't faint, but my body fainted. In other words, I collapsed. I remember getting up from a cafe. I was talking to some friends about what I was going through, and I was so distraught, I had to get up and walk away from the table. Just, just remembering that moment impacts me today. And I remember as I took two steps away from the table, I just collapsed on the ground because my, my strength just drained out of me. It was like the intensity. Do you know when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, 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 the intensity of what he was going through before he went to the cross was so incredible that he was sweating drops of blood. The intensity of what, and it can affect our body, it can affect... You know, so when we're disengaged, when there's tangled lines, when someone has hurt us, when we've been disappointed, when we're frustrated, when we're offended, when we're holding a grudge against somebody, these things, they attack us. They attack our mind. They attack our will. They attack our emotions. They attack our body. And eventually it affects our spirit. And when it begins to affect our spirit, the disengagement process is not just about what's happening with the people around us, but also with God, because we can no longer even come before God with any sort of confidence because we're tangled up on the inside. 
And so this is where I believe that Jesus' words in Matthew 16 are so important. Matthew 16, 24, 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whomever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Wow. Speaking of the soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. What's he talking about? The works of the soul. The soul is so important. We need to love God with all our soul. I believe that if we want to get to a point where we can change the pattern in our life and disentangle or detangle the disengagement process which for a lot of people it's well and truly in established in our lives we need to come back to what Jesus, the core of what Jesus is saying here and that is to deny self Do you know that self love when it's on those lines of communication is the most destructive thing in the world because it means that everything that we're doing is about us. So when we have an expectation or a hope, it's about us and not about the person who's on the other end of that communication. And so oftentimes we find that our disappointment, yeah, maybe someone's let us down. Maybe someone has legitimately hurt us, as in done something. They may have even done something on purpose. You know what, when someone does something that's on purpose, we would almost put them in the enemy category. You know, when they're actually trying to hurt us, we put them in the enemy category. But you know what Jesus said about our enemies? Love your enemies. Why did he say that? Because he understands how our soul functions. And if we don't have the love of God flowing, the agape love of God flowing through all our relationships, we're going to have tangled lines the disengagement process is on and so he says even to those who intend to hurt you love them what kind of love is this not a fillet or love you don't have to be their friend huh? it's an unconditional love is I love you regardless of what you do to me regardless of what you say regardless of how you treat me, regardless of how you act. Then the other side of that is that we need to have, and, and Jesus once said, you know, be as innocent, no, be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove, which is an interesting phrase, but what, where I believe the Lord showed me about this one day. He said, wise as serpent means we need to understand how the, the serpent works, in other words, how the enemy works in the way that we function but we need to be innocent like a dove in other words take things on face value so when it comes to communication if I show you some love um, 
or if I'm coming to you and you, you're reading me wrong, just go, no, that's not his intent. And we've got to learn in our relationships to come to, to just be innocent. So take a step back from the disengagement process and go, you know what, I'm just going to give this person the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes there will be doubt and sometimes we need to deal with that. And Jesus highlighted the soul, the mind, and Apostle Paul highlighted it again. When, and and Paul, Paul talks first about the body. Put your, make your body a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, 2, he says, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Yeah? I'm going to wrap it up in just a moment. The renewal of our mind is the core. Yeah? If we can have our mind renewed so that when we relate to one another, we're relating through a mind that is filled with love and not filled with bitterness or not filled with hate or not filled with angst, then even our body language is going to change. Yeah? Everybody look this way. Come on. (laughs) Now everybody look this way. Now back here. <laughs> all right, body language. See, because all of you were looking that way then, so I just read your body language. <laughs> so, body language will change when love starts to take over. When our mind is renewed, how do we renew our mind? Fill it with love. Dwell on things that are not seen and not on things that are seen. Dwell on the things of heaven and not on the things of the earth. If it says, do not be transformed to the likeness of the world, then don't have your mind fixed on the things of the world, but the things of heaven. In wrapping this up this morning, because I know there's a lot of distractions now, I feel like I've just about lost you all. Um, I just want to pull it back to this one thing. Filling our mind with the things that are all about love will actually begin a a transformation process in our mind. So focusing on love. Focusing on love that is unconditional. Not love that is selfish. Not love that is all about me, but all about, first of all, God. All right, God, fill me with your love. I want to focus on things that are to do with heaven, to do with God. If you're having trouble in your area of your mind, you're thinking, you're dwelling on things all the time, change the record purposefully. And it's a purposeful thing we need to do. Change the record. If we recognize triggers as they come up, ah, there's a trigger. Don't beat yourself up about it. Just go, oh, thank you, Lord, for revealing that to me. Submit it to the Lord. Surrender. Die to self and move on. And you'll find that bit by bit, this is how my relationship with Shek has got to a point now where we're so connected and so in harmony with each other because for the first time in my life, I've learned how to love with a different kind of love and then receive from her knowing that she has, she's not intending to hurt me even when she still does things that in the past would have triggered me. And then when I see myself or feel myself or sense myself being triggered, I've got to come back to the point where I recognize, oh, 
I'm stepping back into my old former way of thinking and I know I can't do that anymore and I've got to step back into the new way of thinking which is the way of love. You know, it's a journey and uh, yeah, we have tangled lines from time to time. We have disappointment, we have disillusionment. We can be even disinterested. You might be disinterested in having a relationship with a whole bunch of people in your life right now. It's probable, probably true. Don't judge yourself. Just recognize, oh, okay, what's that all about, God? And then submit it to him and ask him, what, where'd that come from? How'd that happen? Is there something that needs to shift in me, God? And then lay it at his feet. Say, okay, God, I'm ready to move forward. Yeah? But it is, it's love. Agape, love. Love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, if we can submit ourselves to that process all over again, we might find that some of the tanglement will start to filter out and then we'll be, not that you want to be out fishing, but it'd be like a kid with his dad on the fishing deck just having a good time. And uh, that's the way it ought to be. We need to come to the Father like little children. And on a day like Father's Day, like it is today, I just want to encourage you, come before the Father with an innocent heart and say, Lord, if my, if my lines are tangled, help me. Show me. What can I do? How do I need to surrender all over again? Just lay it all, all at his feet, yeah? Right, let's wrap it up. Father, I just bless what you're doing in our lives. Earlier today, Lord, you showed me a picture of chains around minds that are just falling away. And I just pray, Father God, that as your love penetrates any of the entanglement that we have in our, in our minds, perhaps in our hearts, perhaps it's affecting even our physical being. Maybe some of us perhaps have struggled with sickness because of unforgiveness or tangled lines that have been there for a long time. I just ask, Lord God, that you just reach down into each one of our hearts and show us where the entanglement has started. Perhaps we need to let you go back to the root of where that started. And just apply your love, your unconditional agape love to that root where the pain is, where the struggle started from, where the disengagement process began, perhaps with disappointment. Lord, whatever it might be, whatever we learnt as a child, whatever processes of engagement we have struggled with, I ask, Lord God, that you would retrain our mind, that we would each one be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that you would help us to focus on things above and not things of this world. That as we do, Lord God, you'll transform us and that we'll just find life so much better as we communicate with those around us. We know we can't control what others do, say or think. But we give ourselves and our responses and our heart reactions to you. We submit them to you once again. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. 
If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au.